Okay, guys, we're in Lesson 8. We're going to look at Paul's plea. Let me just uh, make a couple points here. We're going to talk about legalism today. Now, I need to explain to you what legalism is and isn't. Because a lot of times, people will say something is legalism and it isn't legalism. And then a lot of times people will say, well, what they're doing is not legalism, but it is. What Paul, when Paul talks about legalism, he's talking about ritual. He's talking about doing something in a repetitive manner in your life or doing, keeping adherence to some rules in order for you to attain acceptance with God. So legalism for us could be a thinking that says, I've got to do my quiet time in order for God to accept me that day. And if I don't get to pray this week, and if I get something bad going on in my life, it's because God doesn't accept me because I didn't do my quiet time. That's legalism. And a lot of Christians fall into that trap. So does everybody understand what legalism is? Now let me explain to you what legalism is not. So, for instance... You have somebody who enjoys a drink, but as they enjoy a drink, they continually get drunk. And a Christian brother or sister goes to them and says, you need to quit drinking and get drunk. And the guy says, I'm free in Christ. That's just legalism. Well, that's not legalism. It's an issue of obedience there. Because the Bible very clearly says, it doesn't prohibit drinking, but it prohibits what, folks? Getting drunk. Okay, here's another one. It could be anything. It could be engaging, if you're a single person, in premarital sex. That's just legalism. You're, you're restraining my freedom. That's not legalism. That's an issue of what? Obedience, because what? God said in his word, one of the few times where he says it is his will, it is my will that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality. So here's what I'm saying. We've got to delineate what legalism is and what it's not. Legalism is not God's word where it says you need to be obedient in an area. Legalism is you trying to gain your acceptance with God by doing certain things. Did you understand what I'm saying? Then that's legalism. So does everybody understand the delineation? So when we talk about this subject today, I want to be sure we're on the same pathway here, the same line of thinking when we talk about what legalism is. So, okay, so somebody say, well, you know, I have talked to somebody and they just tell me to quit being legalistic. You say, it's not legalism if God clearly says you need to stop. You understand what I'm saying? That's not the issue. That's not an issue there. Okay, so let's talk about where we're at up to this point. Okay, we're in lesson eight now. Paul's getting ready to change his He's, he's kind of concluding the arguments that he's had before. Remember, he, he spent some time really defending his apostleship about who he is against these Judaizers, these so-called Jewish Christians who say you've got to do certain things in order to be, quote, accepted by God. So he spent a lot of time talking about his authority. Then he spent some time, which is what we just covered over the last few weeks, spent some time talking about what the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the gospel that communicates how acceptance with God happens. And how does that happen, folks? Through Jesus' sacrifice, not through anything that we've done. 
So now he's going to transition it over to verse 8 of chapter 4, and he's going to give his plea. So I want you to look with me. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11 first of all. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature were not gods. But now, after you have known God, and rather are known by God, how is it that you turned again to the weak and beggarly elements which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. So let's look at a couple things here. First of all, he's going to do is he's going to talk about turning from legalism. Turning from legalism. And Paul reminds them of their past experience of worshiping false gods. So he's going to remind them of their past experience of worshiping false gods. Now, why is he going to do that? Why is he going to remind them of their past experience of worshiping false gods? Anybody? Why do you think he's going to remind them of their past experience? Okay, show them where they were and show them where they could go. Okay, that's good, Tim, but let's expand beyond that. All right, let's talk about it for a moment. Most of the false religions in Paul's day, these, the pagan religions where they were, they were worshiping what we refer to as mythology, but they were worshiping gods. For instance, even in, Paul, even in, in Palestine there, you think about Baal and so forth, and Shamash, those were deities, a lot of times with reference to fertility. And so here you are, you're a poor peasant in Rome or Greece or in some part of the empire, and it's coming up to spring, and if you were worshiping one of these local deities, you would have to go to the temple in order for that god to show favor to you you would have to make some sort of sacrifice or take part in some sort of ritual so that your crops would be blessed that year so that you could be doing okay by harvest time. So this is what he's reminding them of is that ritual because it really was, listen to me, it really was a, 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 a religion of appeasement, of appeasing your God so that he would bless you. So this is what Paul's reminding them of. So this is a good illustration for him to use. Because he's talking about the issue of acceptance with God, and so already they're in a mindset of what? Appeasement. That it, because the way, they were you know, the way they were raised in their false religion, I need to do this in order to appease this God so that he will what? Bless me. So this is what he's reminding them of. And you say, well, that's, fair. that's fine, George, that's good. We're not worshiping false gods around here. If you notice, there aren't very many temples here in town with a false god in it. Actually, there are. Some of them are bars. You understand what I'm saying? And there's a god there that's being worshipped. We have our false gods. They just take different forms. But the culture of appeasement is, is still in our culture today. You say, what do you mean a culture of appeasement? Well, you learn it from when? When you're small on up. So when you're small, if you're good, mommy and daddy will what? Buy you a toy or do something nice for you, you know. How about at work? If I put out for the boss, 
and I do good and we make the production or whatever and we get things up there, I'm hoping that he'll what for me? Bless me because I've appeased him. You know, and some of you say, my boss can't be appeased. I understand that. All right. But the point is, is we live in a culture of what? Appeasing so that what? We get acceptance with God. This is what Paul's trying to remind them of. He's trying to remind them of their past life in that experience. Now, here's what he's saying. He tells them to remember the ritual practices of their false worship. This is the point he's trying to make to them. They were in, steeped in ritual. They were steeped in ritual. They had to do certain things to gain access to him. So he's trying to make a point here. Now, he's going to raise a question with them. So he re Paul reflects on their current standing in salvation. Paul reflects on their current standing in salvation. Look at verse 9. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God. So here he is, he's, that first part there, he's reflecting on their past standing. That is that they have known God, they have accepted salvation. Or the fact is he wants to make the point that you are known by God. God knows who you are. You're important to him. So here's what he's saying. He asks why they have once again turned to ritual practices. He's saying, look, why have you turned back to the stuff you left? Why are you going back to that same mindset that you've got to do certain things in order for you to be accepted with God? And that's what they're doing, aren't they? When they were embracing the Jewish law and they were listening to these Judaizers who were coming in their midst, what was happening there is that they basically were listening to someone saying that, well, yeah, that Jesus is fine, but you've got to do these things to be truly accepted with God. And he's saying, how is it that you got saved out of that mindless religion before, and now you're here and you're doing the same thing again? Now, that's a good question for us, isn't it? You say, well, I'm not, you know, listen to me. Look at how your spiritual life is. Take a moment and examine your spiritual walk with God. How many of you, let's say you had a bad week. Maybe some of you did have a bad week. We don't need to know who you are, unless you want us to know who you are. Um, you had a bad week. How many of you had this thought or you said something like this? I wonder what's wrong in my life. Why is God dealing with me? God, why are you punishing me? God, why are you doing this to me? Isn't that how we think, folks? And, and here's the other one. It's especially easy to think that when you've got a Christian who will come up to you and say, you must not have been obedient. God must be dealing with you about something. Now, do Christians do that? You better believe it, they do. Okay? We shoot our own wounded. Do you know that? You know, we don't aid wounded, we shoot them. And, and that's reality. And, and here's what he's saying. Why is it that when we understand, because everybody here, under, I'm going to give you the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus came, lived among us a sinfully perfect life, went to the cross as a sacrifice for our sin, was buried, on the third day rose again, has ascended to the Father, and one day he's coming back. Now all that he has done for us is not because of us, but because of who? Him. That's the gospel. 
Now, why? If, since we, now how many do you agree with that? Okay. All right. So we all agree with that. Why do we fall into that trap then of thinking God must be unhappy with me? I must be, you know, I'm being zapped because I didn't kick. I didn't. I didn't read five chapters this week. I only read three. He does deal with you, but that's a little bit different, though. Yes, that's called chastisement. That's a little bit different. But what I'm talking about is it's the prevalent mindset among a lot of people, and it reflects their maturity level. See, a lot of folks, okay, Paul would describe it this way. He would refer, say, to, I think it's the, uh, it might be the Ephesians, but I think it's the Corinthians. He would say to them, you should be eating meat, but you're still sucking on milk. And the problem is today, in our churches today, we've got a lot of people sucking milk rather than eating meat. And so because they're immature in their faith, it's not the sin issues that they're worried about. What they're worried about is, is did I do my appeasing things with God? That's a rough way to put it, but that's exactly what it is. Did I have my devotions? Did I give enough in the offering this week? Oh, no, we took another. I didn't give anything in that special offering. God, forgive me. My engine blew up, and I had to take care of that. Otherwise, I'm going to get fired. Hey, well, look, take care of the engine. You know, I mean, so here's what I'm trying to say. Yes, there is a sense in which God does deal with us, but it's a gradual dealing with us. You understand? When you talk about people facing the normal stuff of life, and let's be honest, we need to develop a theology of suffering. And our theology of suffering is this. We are in a world that is rough, and we're going to suffer, and bad things happen, period. You shouldn't think the next time something bad happens, it's because you didn't do your devotions, or you didn't do enough to, that God doesn't accept you. That's immaturity. That's really what I'm talking about. So I'm, I'm thankful you delineated there. Because I don't want anybody to get a wrong concept. If you're not doing it right, God's going to deal with you. But I want you to understand something. You don't need to be defeated by legalism. And legalism is doing something so that God, what? Accepts you. He already accepts you. In fact, let me give you this illustration to help point out this point. i got four kids. I've got a daughter and three sons. And, you know, they do things that I get irritated with. Now, listen to me. Is there ever going to be a point where I'm not going to accept them for who they are? Is there ever going to be a point? I might come close, but I'm always going to accept them because they're, they're my blood. They're flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. You understand? So they don't need to do things for dad, for dad to accept them. I'm always going to accept them and love them. You understand what I'm saying? See, this is the same thing with God. We've got to develop a mindset. We are God's children. He just told us that when we talked about last, the last time we did this lesson about the standing with God. We are his children. We have standing with him. We are heirs with Christ. Now, listen to me. So you don't need to do anything for acceptance with him. This is the point that Paul's making with these Galatian believers is why in the world are you going back to the old ways where you're trying to appease a God? He accepts you because of what Jesus has done. Okay, now, here's what I want you to see. 
Here's, and here's the point. This is a great point. These miserable practices were bringing them back into bondage. Boy, let me tell you. And it is bondage. I've been a believer now, in April will be 25 years. All right? I came to Christ when I was 19 years old as a freshman engineering student at the University of South Carolina. I did not come from a church home. Christianity was not practiced in my home. Now, we, we celebrated Easter, but that was the Easter Bunny. And we celebrated Christmas. That was presents, and yeah, there was no Santa Claus, although we were told there was a Santa Claus for a little bit. Well, we were a typical American home. Thanksgiving was football and turkey. And, and that's reality. So I, that's the kind of home. So I came in virtually an un, a, a, a pagan into Christianity when I was 19. Now, the first seven years, I'm going to be honest with you, I would classify as being in bondage. And it wasn't until I married Lori and we were down in home, home PA, just over here in Indiana County, and I had even finished seminary. I was done with seminary. And I realized through some reading that I was doing that I was in bondage because I had, whether or not I realized it, suddenly embraced the thought that what I'm doing is, a, is the basis for my acceptance with God. So here I am. I'm prepared to be a pastor. I'm, I'm seminary trained. I'm seven years in the faith. And I have embraced a thought that what I'm doing will, you know, whether I, I dress a certain way to church, and I had a hard time with that because Lori will tell you, when we first got married, we went to her, her home church, and I'm the only one besides the preacher wearing a suit and, and that type of thinking. And how much we give or how much service, I'm, if I'm not doing something for you, Jesus, I'm not going to be accepted by you. And, and all of that was, can I, where did I get all that bondage from? Church culture. Church culture. Because there are things that we do at our churches over and over and over, and if you don't do them, you must not be a good Christian, especially in a Baptist church. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. So here's, and when Paul describes this, he says that really these miserable practices are bringing them back into bondage. It is. It's just a Christian form of bondage. It's a, it's a Christian form of appeasement. That I've got to do certain things for God to bless me. Not knowing that He already loves me. And He's already going to do what's best for me anyhow. Period. So, it, it's... The question there is, He's saying, why are you turning back? This is bringing you into bondage. So, here's, here's what He's saying. Particularly in verse 10, look with me at verse 10, you observe days, months, seasons, and years. Now, here's the point I want you to see. Paul points out that they had been enslaved to, into observing the Mosaic calendar. Here's what's going on. These Judaizers were coming in and saying, well, you know, if you've got to be accepted, you've got to do these certain things. And so, here's what you've got to observe. 
you've got to observe the new moons. Whenever there's a new moon in Judaism at that time, they, they did some sort of ritual or whatever. Or they celebrated the new moon. And you've got to celebrate certain Sabbaths. And, and even to the day, to this day, the Jews celebrate certain things over and over and over again. They get, they're enslaved and bondage to them. And here's what he's saying. You guys have become in bondage to this Jewish calendar. You've never had to live by it before. Now, because you're a Christian, you think you have to live by it in order for God to accept you. Well, do we do the same thing? Do we, folks? We sure do. Except we have our church days. Say, let's say, okay, let's take a church. It could be this church, it could be any church. We don't do something. We, we, if the church has done it every year for ten years. On the eleventh year, they decide not to do it. And some of the folks at church say, boy, it sure doesn't feel the same since we haven't done that, that harvest party. Well, October is not the same anymore. Something bad happens. See, it's because we didn't do that harvest party. What's that, folks? It's the same kind of thinking. You're in bondage to... And, and, and it's normal for us, isn't it? Because we live by ritual. Understand? We live by ritual. We want things the same way. And the older you get, the more you want it to be the same way. You know what I'm saying? You don't like change. And so it's easy for us to embrace a certain thing and be in bondage to it. And so here's what he's saying. So you're living in bondage to this mosaic calendar. Now here's his fear. Here's Paul's fear. And this is legitimate. He is fearful that his work among them was in vain. It's a genuine fear, isn't it? His work among them was to set them free and to have freedom in Christ and to recognize that Christ accepted them, not because of themselves, but because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So when they're embracing a ritualistic lifestyle that is supposed to gain acceptance with God, that is the antithesis of the gospel. And because it's the antithesis of the gospel, he's saying, you know what, my time that I've spent with you, sharing with you, and talking with you, and teaching you, and guiding you, and showing you, all of that was in vain. It was meaningless. Because you have turned around and done the exact opposite. So he's got a genuine fear. You know what, my friends? You have folks who have invested in your lives. Now, some of them have invested positively. Some have invested negatively. The negative would be those who are imposing the rituals on you. Dress a certain way. Carry a certain Bible. Do a certain thing. Don't go here. Stay here. Don't do this. Do this, that. That's legalism. But there are some who communicated to you your acceptance with God based upon Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. When you embrace a legalism, whatever the form is, you are basically saying that their work was in vain. And that's what Paul's fearful of here. That's what, his, that's what he's fearful of. Now, let's go on. He's going to talk about his first visit then. Let's look at verses 12 through 16. He's going to tell them to remember his first visit. He says, Brethren, I urged you to become like me, for I became like you. 
you have not injured me at all. You know that because of the physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And my trial was in my flesh, and you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear witness that if it possible, you would have punched out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become an enemy because I tell you the truth? So he's going to remind him of the first visit. First of all, the encouragement. Paul encourages the Galatians to become like him. Become like him. And in fact, this is all throughout Paul's letters. Throughout Paul's letters, he's saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow my example as I follow Christ. So here he is. He's telling the Galatians the same thing. He reminds them, he encourages them to become like him. Now, here's what he's saying. He set aside the Jewish legalism to reach them with the gospel. He set aside the Jewish legalism in order to reach them with the gospel. Now, let me just stop for a moment. This was so important. He had to do this. Because first of all, he's a Jew. If he's following Jewish legalism, how much interaction is he going to have with Gentiles? None. So here he is. He's called to preach to the Gentiles. So because of that, he's got to what? He's got to lay it aside in order to what? Preach them. Okay, now let's stop for a moment. He just told us before, look at my example. Look at what I did. I laid, a, I laid aside those very same legalisms that you're embracing now in order to reach you with the gospel. See, my friends, there's a powerful lesson there, isn't there? There are a couple of lessons there. Don't embrace something that has nothing to do with your salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't embrace, you know, it's like you can't work for salvation, but we're going to work you to death afterwards. Do you know what I mean by that? You can't work for salvation, you know, but we're going to work you to death afterwards. That's the attitude they were, they were embracing. You know, everybody recognize you can't do anything for salvation here? Why do we think we've got to do something to keep it? You, you see my point? That's, that's the whole issue he's saying here. So he's saying you've got to lay it aside in order for people to come to Christ. That's what I did, Paul says. Now, there's a good lesson here, and the lesson is this. We are in a community where most folks have little or no understanding of God or Jesus Christ. Does everybody understand that? How do we reach them? I think one thing, we've got to lay aside our traditions. Look, when I get people killing me on the phone, well, you know, I'd like, I've been really thinking about God and really... I said, well, you're more invited to come here. Well, you know, I can't afford that. I don't see Tom at the door taking tickets, do you? I mean, you, 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 what, what are they talking about? And for a while I wondered, what are they talking about? can't afford that. Here, I'll tell you what they're talking about. Close. Here's what I'm saying. So, we've got to lay aside our traditions, like Paul is saying, in order for what? People to come to Christ. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You say, does that mean we've got to lay aside the gospel? No, you don't lay aside the gospel. But, let me explain something. Your traditions are not the gospel. The gospel is not our traditions. So, we've got to lay aside our traditions so that the gospel can shine forth and people can come to Christ. You understand? So, that's what he's saying here. He, he set aside his Jewish legalism. Let, let's go on now. Here's the nature of Paul's first visit. Paul reminds them that when he first met them, he first met them because of an illness that he was enduring. He reminds them that he first met them because of an illness he was enduring. So, obviously he had to stop in the Galatian area because of some sort of sickness that he was dealing with, something, some kind of problem. 
And a lot of scholars believe, based upon what Paul is going to talk about here in a moment, is, is that probably the issue was an eye problem. Probably the Apostle Paul, ever since the Damascus Road experience, struggled with an eye problem. Now, why would he struggle with an eye problem? Anybody remember what happened on the Damascus Road? He was struck blind by a vision with Christ. And remember, when he went into Damascus, he was there for a while, maybe a week, and then the Lord, through a dream, spoke to Ananias to go and, you know what, pray for Paul so that the scales, it says there that the scales he could see again. But it didn't say he could see perfectly. So he was forever marked by that experience. Can I be honest with you? When you have an experience with the living God, you are forever marked. That's just reality. And so he came to them because, and he, he met them because of his illness. Now here's what he's saying. They did not reject Paul because of the illness or see him as a weak messenger. They didn't reject him because of his illness or the struggle that he had. They didn't reject him because of that. In fact, he goes on and he says... They received Paul as if he was an angel or Jesus Christ himself. They received him like when Paul came in among them, Paul says, don't you remember, guys? You, you treated me as if I was an angel or if I was Jesus himself. So then here's what he's also pointing out, and this is why we think it's the eye problem. They would have done anything for Paul. Paul says, you would have literally plucked out your own eyes for me. That's why they think it was an eye problem, is that if they could in any way, help him with his situation, they would have given their own eyes. That's where the Galatians were at. So look at the status. Paul's going to ask him about, okay, so this is the way it was before, folks. Where are things now? So he's going to say, Paul asked him, asked if he has become, now become their enemy because he was telling them the truth. Paul asked if he has now become their enemy because he's telling the truth. So he says, look, something's changed here, guys. When I was there before, you treated me almost like I was Jesus. You would have given your eyes for me. You would have done anything for me. What's going on? What's changed? Have I become your enemy now? And in a way, he has because he's telling them the truth, but they're listening to who? These Judaizers, these so-called Jewish Christians. And they're, they're the ones who are confusing them with this legalism. Now, let me explain something to you. I see this happen all the time. And I have to, I just, I see it's happening today, right here in North American Christianity. And maybe you have had the same experience, but I have seen it happen. Maybe you have some friends, maybe you guys went to the same church together. Or you're, you're Christian friends, and you maybe you work together, but you're Christian friends. And then they end up going to a legalistic church which begins to stress to them that in subtle ways, it's never outright, it's always subtle, in subtle ways that their acceptance with God is based upon, are you ready for this one, where they go to eat, what Bible they carry, whether or not they dance at a wedding, or, you know, stuff like that. And I always look at that and I thought, man, I can tell where they're going to church now. Why? Because it has affected them now where they think their acceptance with God now is based upon whether or not they're keeping this list of rules. And here's what happens with those folks. They usually change towards you, don't they? Because maybe you're at a wedding and you're out there doing the John Travolta Saturday Night Fever thing. You know what I'm saying? And what happens is if something happens to these folks and it's called spiritual pride. 
where they looked down upon you because you ate at a restaurant that had a bar. Do you understand what I'm saying? What, what happened? They weren't like that before. They somehow got caught up in a bondage way of thinking that acceptance with God was based upon what they did or didn't do. See, this is what Paul's saying. Guys, what happened to you? Don't you remember when I was there? I mean, he's their spiritual father. Let's stop for a moment. He's the one who shared the gospel with them. And now they're treating him like he's an enemy. Does that kind of stuff happen, folks? Did, am I the only one who's seen that? Or have how many of you have seen that kind of thing happen? We all have, haven't we? You see, so here's what I'm saying. So that kind of stuff happens. Now, he's going to ask them. He's going to move on. Look with me. We're going to look at verses 17 through 20, and this is where we're going to finish up today. He's going to ask them to consider their present situation. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone where I have doubts about you. So here, first of all, he's going to talk about the motives of the Judaizers. Paul points out that the false teachers are zealous to win them over. I mean, they're zealous to convert you to their way of thinking. They go to extra lengths to try to convince you that their way is the way to go. You've got to carry, you've got to dress a certain way, you've got to carry a Bible, this certain type of Bible, you can't go here, you've got to do this. It's happening today. In those kind of churches, they are zealous for you to get it right. Zealous. Now let's go on. The problem is, is these false teachers want to alienate them from Paul and Christ. These false teachers, here's what they're doing. They want to alienate them. They, that is, they, they want to, you know, they don't want them to listen to Paul or to Jesus because when you listen to Paul or Jesus, you realize the freedom you have in Christ. What they want you to do is listen to them and they'll keep you in bondage. And you hang on every word they say. In fact, let me explain something to you. In our context today, in our society, the churches that do this, there is one guy at the head of the totem pole. And everybody's worried about what he thinks. Who's that, folks? The pastor, Lou says. That's exactly right, the preacher. Here's what I'm saying. They, when you're in that kind of a context, the head guy on the totem pole is the pastor, and you're really worried about what he thinks and what he says. Acceptance. But it's no longer, it, it, the thing is, it's perverted, isn't it, Lou? Because it's no longer acceptance with God anymore. It's acceptance by who? The man. See how much you can shift away from the gospel? to where you're no longer worried about being accepted with God, it's whether or not I'm going to be accepted by the man. That is so deadly, isn't it? And we all know folks like that. We all know folks like that. So, because here's the thing, and they're purposely doing it. They're alienating them from, from, I would say they're alienating them from Jesus and the Scriptures, because we have Paul in the form of the Scriptures. All right, let's go on. These false teachers want the Galatians to be zealous for them. The conferences, I, you know, People get up and they talk about how, you know, you maybe have, you know, you have a message and they'll introduce the speaker and they'll talk about how great the speaker is and the speaker talks about all his achievements and nowhere in there do you hear anything about God or Jesus except maybe in a prayer, in Jesus' name. It's all about who, folks? Them. 
It's not about the gospel or Jesus anymore. It's all about the preacher. And you try to, and how many of you have done this? How many of you try to sit down with your friend and explain it to them, and they just don't get it? They don't. Why? Because they've been deceived. See, this is the frustration. Paul. See, you want to, under, you want to read Galatians? You can understand exactly how Paul is feeling here as he's dealing with this issue. Because many of you face the same thing when you talk to your friends who are in bondage. They just don't see it. So, here's what he says to them. Zeal is not wrong as long as it's for a good reason. Paul says, you know, it's great to have zeal as long as the zeal you're having is for a good reason. You're going to be zealous. Wonderful. But make sure you're zealous for the right thing. How many of you have seen people who have been zealous for the wrong thing? You know, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody who gets really zealous about some way to make money quick. And they want you to buy buy in with them. And somebody will say, you know, I've got this new thing. It's a new way to get rid of debt. And you just got to do this, and you pay them this much, and they'll do this for you. And, and it's almost like I'm listening to a Ponzi scheme or something, you know. And, and have you noticed they're so zealous for it that then a year later when you talk to them, they don't talk about it anymore. And you're just dying to ask them, so how did that thing work out? But your plight, you don't. But you see what I'm saying? It's good to be zealous. Paul's saying, be zealous for the right things, though. You know, it's good that he's saying to the Galatians, you know, it's good that you're wanting to be zealous for the Lord, but be zealous for the Lord, not these rituals, these legalisms, not even these teachers. Be zealous for Jesus. Okay, let's go on. He's saying this. Their zeal for Christ should be evident even when Paul is not there. You know what? It doesn't just take Paul being there for them to be zealous, is what he's saying. You should be zealous for Jesus whether I'm there or not. It's a good thing for us to consider here. You and I need to be zealous for Jesus whether you're in church or not. And again, let me just stop. I'm not talking about you being some Holy Joe, carry your Bible, thump somebody on the head kind of zeal. I'm talking about you loving God and Christ for what he's done and he's the foremost thing in your life. And you don't even have to open your mouth. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's talking about you should be zealous for God, not for these rituals. Paul referred to the Galatians as his dear children. So he's going to remind him. He says, guys, you're my children. You're my spiritual children. I labored among you, brought you to Christ. He's reminding them of the relationship here. So then he's going to express his concern. And this is a concern every one of us should have. Let me just stop for a moment. How many of you would say you have a friend who is caught in this type of bondage that we have talked about here today? How many of you have a friend? Raise your hand. This next point is for you and I. This is how we need to follow his example. Paul was concerned for their deliverance from the false teachers. You and I need to be concerned for those people that you know who are caught in that bondage, and you like them, you care for them, you just kind of shake your head at them. You and I need to be concerned for them that they would get out of that and find true freedom in who? Christ. That's what Paul's concern was for them. He was concerned that they would be delivered from these false teachers and see the light and get out of there. And that's the attitude that we need to have. Let's go on. Paul desired to be with them because he had concerns. This is the last point there. He says, man, I wish I was there because I am concerned for you. And let me explain something. Here's what he's concerned about. Look at what that verse says. Look at verse 20. I would like to be present with you now and change my tone, for I have my doubts about you. 
What's he saying here? He's saying to them, listen, this is my concern with you folks. My concern isn't that, oh, I'm just concerned that you're not doing really well. My concern is that this is going to totally affect your life and the outcome where you have rejected the gospel and you've embraced this line of thinking that says you've got to do something for God. I'm concerned. He's really concerned about their spiritual life. I mean, he's just not concerned that they have a, a, a head cold. He's concerned that it's going to affect them spiritually, which is a life or death situation. That's the kind of concern he has. And you say, what, what's the application for you and I? My friends, you and I have friends who are caught up in this kind of legalism. We better be concerned for them that they get out of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because they don't, you're not going to truly understand Christ and his love and the power of the life that comes from him until you get out of that whole legalism of doing stuff for acceptance with him. And that's the issue there. Next week we're going to look at Paul as he continues in his discussion here, and he's going to give them an appeal for understanding. He's going to talk about some facts with them. He's going to explain the situation. He's going to make an application. So let's close our time of prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.